This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 226. Greetings, Metamorphs. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. This is the show where I share my fiction with you and tell you the latest news on my life and my writing. So let's jump right in with this week's story. Today I'm bringing you part six of my portal fantasy, The Dark Lord Steve. If you're new to the show, go back to episode 221 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In our last episode, Steve Lipinski began trying to find his way home from the world of the Reach. Along with his lieutenant, the former cleaning maid he calls Daisy, he learned everything he could about magic. As a demon, Steve was barred from performing spells himself, which meant that it was up to Daisy to put their new knowledge into practice. Fortunately, Daisy turned out to be bright and willing to learn, and in time she became a sorceress in her own right. Unfortunately, none of the spellbooks they've collected seem to know anything about how to banish a demon who has broken his summoning spell. There are vague references to appealing to the gods, but nothing concrete. Since going home seems to be impossible for now, Steve puts the project on the back burner and puts his focus into taking care of the kingdom he has acquired. Daisy is with him every step of the way, and puts her own unique talents to work in making life better for their people. One day, after nearly four years together, Daisy takes a major step forward in their relationship. She gives Steve her true name, just as he gave her his when they first liberated their people. By the rules of magic, knowing Daisy's name gives Steve power over her, the power to reshape her in body and soul. In truth, she says, I was yours already. Make of me what you will. With Daisy's encouragement, Steve transforms her into an Amazonian warrior goddess, tall and powerful and beautiful, a fitting queen for the Dark Lord of the Reach. Soon thereafter, Daisy performs a summoning spell to call up Steve's friend, Rashid, the man who started all this by giving Steve's name to a sorcerer. Rashid agrees to look after Steve's apartment and take care of his cat, Maleficent, until Steve can find a way to bring himself and Daisy back home to Oakland. Every year spent in the Reach is only a day back home, so there really isn't any rush. Steve tells Rashid to inform their boss that he's gone off the grid for a mental health retreat. He's sure the boss will understand. The Dark Lord Steve Written in Red by Chris Lester. Part 6 On a chilly spring morning in the 31st year of his reign, Steve awoke before dawn and made his way to the observation dome at the top of the castle's highest tower. He'd been getting into astronomy of late, and early morning was the perfect time to observe the Dragon's Breath comet 
that was currently making its way through the inner solar system. He flipped on the lamps. The bulbs were tinted red, so they wouldn't spoil his night vision, set his coffee mug on the little wooden desk, and turned to the massive telescope that filled the bulk of the room. He consulted his charts, adjusted the telescope's position with a pair of large hand cranks, and peered through the eyepiece. A man's voice came from behind him. Hi, Steve. We really need to talk. Steve spun around, summoning a sword to his hand by pure instinct. About ten feet away from him stood a man he had not seen in decades, but he recognized him in an instant nonetheless. The man was thin, almost to the point of gauntness. He appeared to be in his late fifties, with close-cropped, balding hair, a prominent nose, and dark, intelligent eyes. He wore a pair of wire-rimmed glasses, blue jeans, and the black turtleneck he had made famous. He was the closest thing Silicon Valley had ever had to royalty. And he was here, in this room, with a man who'd once been proud to share his name. Steve's jaw fell open. No fucking way. They... they said you were dead. That other Steve gave him a patient smile. I'm not the man you're thinking of. He gestured at his own body. This is only a metaphor, a trusted authority figure whose words you might be inclined to listen to. Steve blinked. So, you're like, God? No, wait. He frowned, thinking back to a conversation with his old buddy Rashid. Jeez, I haven't thought about that in forever. You're one of them, the programmers who build the simulations. Not Steve, laughed and spread his hands. <laughs> Who do I look like, Wozniak? No, no, Steve. I'm the designer. The idea guy, the one with the vision. Considering the form the man had chosen, Steve had to admit this made sense. Oh. Wow. He looked around the room for something he could offer to make not Steve more at home, but the observation dome was sparse on amenities. It's great to meet you, sir. Can I offer you breakfast? It's early, but I can have the cooks whip something up. Not Steve waved a hand dismissively. That won't be necessary. I'm not staying long. He began pacing around Steve with slow, measured steps, eyeing him with a sharp, critical gaze. Is... is something wrong? Steve asked. His excitement was giving way to a slow, quiet fear in the pit of his stomach. Yes, not Steve said slowly, only I'm not quite sure what. I had to come down here and assess the damage for myself. Damage? Steve asked. Yes, not Steve said again. There was a note of irritation in his voice now. My customers expect certain deliverables, Steve. They are promised a particular quality of experience when they take part in my creations, and you... You have taken this world badly off script. Steve frowned. Your customers? Are you talking about players? People who come to this world from somewhere else? Because that's me. And I've got to say I'm pretty happy with this place. Not Steve snorted. <laughs> you? You're not the customer, Steve. You're the product. 
one actor in a cast of billions. Steve spread his hands. Then why give me godlike powers? Because I needed demons for this world, not Steve said, as if this were obvious. What's a fantasy swords and sorcery world without capricious supernatural beings popping in to fuck shit up? Then why not make your own demons? Steve countered. Why rip people out of a whole different world? Not Steve shrugged. I tried that. It didn't really work. Either they ended up being boring, predictable cardboard cutouts, or they started empathizing with the people they were supposed to be tormenting. Hell is a surprisingly difficult thing to model. He continued his slow orbit around Steve, peering at him intently. So I started looking around for existing simulations that were modeling suffering really well, and that's when I found yours. Your sim's been running continuously for about 10,000 years, and you've really raised misery to an art form. Your whole economic system is based on the systematic exploitation and destruction of other sentient life forms. Nearly every person on your world is unhappy, unsatisfied, and doing something that increases the suffering of people elsewhere on your planet. And you've all just sort of accepted it as inevitable. We can never code for that level of psychopathy, but you evolved it all on your own. Really, really impressive. He shook his head in apparent admiration. Anyway, I set up a crosslink to import characters from your world to mine. All I had to do was inconvenience you, pull you out of your miserable little lives, drop you in a world with no lasting consequences, and then give you more power than you knew what to do with. Boom. The perfect demons. Lifelike, believable, creatively malicious. A real challenge for the players. It worked beautifully for centuries. He let out a frustrated breath. <sighs> Until now, apparently. Steve felt vaguely sick. He wasn't sure whether to feel offended, or called out, or a bit of both. So, what? Are you saying I'm a... a better person than all those others you brought here? Not Steve choked back a laugh. <laughs> what? No. Not significantly, anyway. I read your history file from your own world. You were gloriously average. I mean, come on, you looked up to this asshole. He gestured at his own borrowed form. No, Steve, you weren't some kind of saint. But somehow you still came here and ended up making peace of all things. He walked over to the window and stared out, putting his fists on his hips. Five million simulated people live in the Reach. For two thousand years, they were a patchwork of never-ending wars, alliances, and betrayals, the perfect backdrop for my customers to live lives of glory and valor. And in thirty years, you've turned them into a peaceful, united realm committed to progress and justice. He shook his head again, this time in dismay. It's boring, Steve. I don't bring your people here for boring. He looked back over his shoulder, his expression pleading. What were you thinking, man? You could have rampaged across this continent like an angry god. Instead, you're building railroads and improving crop yields and, and living your whole life in this one little castle. Why? Steve looked down at his feet and shrugged. I just wanted to make her happy, he said softly. 
not Steve's, eyebrows went up. Her? Her who? As if on cue, Daisy's voice floated up the stairs from the castle below. Steve? Are you up there, honey? Not Steve's expression turned incredulous. You're kidding. Steve turned to call down the stairs. Come on up, sweetie. We have company. Daisy appeared a moment later, still wearing her faded blue dressing gown. As it so often did, Steve's heart swelled with love and appreciation at the sight of her. She had aged noticeably in the last three decades. They both had. But though her face had countless new lines and her red hair was turning blue-gray in patches, Steve thought she was every bit as stunning as the day he married her. Her lovely blue eyes, still bright and sharp, gleamed with warmth and pleasure as she saw the way he looked at her. But they turned a good deal cooler as they fell on the stranger in the turtleneck. Who is this, Steve? she asked. A friend of yours from back home? She scanned the room, as if looking for a summoning circle. Not quite, Steve said. He's... well, for our purposes, he's a god. Sort of. Daisy's brows arched in skepticism. I don't believe in gods, she told not Steve. You're just a man from another world, like my Stephen, aren't you? Someone who has power here. Not Steve inclined his head in an ironic bow. Not a man, exactly. But yes, I'm the designer. This is my world. Daisy's eyes widened, her mouth rounding into an O of surprise. She glanced quickly over at Steve, who just nodded. After a moment, she recovered herself and curtsied to the man. Then I must thank you, sir, for bringing me my Stephen. She turned to look at Steve again, and the smile she gave him made his heart melt all over. He has given me thirty years of joy, seven beautiful children, and eighteen grandchildren. I've been blessed beyond the telling of it. Yeah, well, I'm afraid that wasn't really part of the plan, not Steve said dismissively. Your Stephen is here because of a glitch, a mistake by one of my programmers. He narrowed his eyes as he looked back over at Steve. And now that I've had a look at you, I know how to fix it. A cold fear shot through Steve's body, wrapped itself around his intestines, and began to squeeze. What do you mean? The summoning, not Steve said casually, as if he were discussing an interesting technical problem with no real emotional relevance. You're not supposed to have a demon without the sorcerer who called him. That's the weak point. That's how the heroes can win. If the spell ends or the summoner is killed, the demon's supposed to go back. That explosion that killed Delbert should have destroyed your summoned body. But because you had used his name, you'd become immune to the effects of his magic, so... He shrugged. The Sim didn't know what to do with you. The Code didn't anticipate that particular sequence of events. So it just... left you alone. He snorted, shook his head, and threw up his hands, a what-can-you-do gesture. This is what I get for going on vacation during the beta testing. We should have caught this ages ago. Oh, well, we'll get it fixed now. Wait, Daisy said, 
holding up a hand. Sir, I understand this wasn't what you intended, but this is Steve's home now. He has lived longer here than he did in his own world. And surely you can see all the good he's done for his people. Yeah, we already talked about that, not Steve said, sounding annoyed. Don't worry, babe. We'll get this place back to wars and succession crises soon enough. He waved his hand in an exaggerated fashion. Bye-bye, Steve. Thanks so much for fucking up my sim. Have fun in Oakland. No! Daisy rushed toward Steve, her face white with terror, her arms outstretched. Then there was a yank on the back of his neck, a flash of cold, a twist in his guts. Steve landed face down on a slab of warm concrete. Honks and the screech of car brakes immediately erupted all around him. One car skidded to a halt, barely five inches away from him. He lay there, stunned, his whole body aching. He tried to make himself move. Couldn't. Jesus! Someone shouted. What the hell? The doors of the car in front of him swung open, and the driver and passenger quickly got out. They were two men in their twenties, both clean-shaven and well-dressed. They knelt beside him. One turned his head to the side to look him in the face, while the other pressed two fingers to his wrist. He's alive, one said. Fucking hell, the other one said, wonderingly. Where did he come from? Worry about it later, honey, the first man said. Traffic's backing up. Right, you get that side. They hoisted Steve by his legs and shoulders and placed him in the back seat. It was a little hybrid hatchback, and Steve's body required quite a bit of folding before it would fit. The doors slammed shut again, and the car began to move. Steve's perceptions went fuzzy for a while after that. He was vaguely aware of people speaking around him, possibly asking him questions, but he couldn't understand what they said. He was lifted out of the car, carried somewhere, but none of it meant anything. Nothing could break through the overwhelming horror of that last image. His beloved wife, his daisy, reaching for him, her face twisted in agony as he was torn away from her. Gone. Lost. The words pounded like the blood in his ears. His whole life, the only one that had really mattered, ripped out and thrown away, deleted like a bad line of code. Daisy. Her name escaped unbidden from his lips, and shock gave way to grief. He curled around his pain and wept. Nothing else mattered. Eventually, he became aware that he was riding in another car. This time, he was in the front passenger seat, buckled in properly. Something about the smell of the vehicle triggered recollection, and he sat up, blinked, and looked around. His car. The one he had lost in the Yerba Buena tunnel and sent Rashid to retrieve from the impound lot. Rashid. He looked to his left. His old friend sat behind the steering wheel, his eyes on the road, as he negotiated the East Bay traffic. He must have noticed Steve moving in his peripheral vision, because he spared a quick look in his direction. Hey, buddy. You with me now? Steve blinked, rubbed his eyes. I... more or less... where are we? 
He peered out the windshield, frowning. It was after dark, and he didn't remember the old landmarks as well as he once had. El Cerrito, Rashid said. Those guys who found you brought you back to their apartment until they could figure out what to do with you. You weren't answering their questions, and you didn't have any ID. Steve frowned. Why didn't they take me to a hospital? Rashid snorted. What, you wanted a $10,000 ER bill for no reason? This is America, Steve. You don't take someone to the hospital without their permission unless they're dying. Steve felt a sinking sensation in the pit of his stomach. Not Steve's words came back to him. You've really raised misery to an art form. You all just sort of accept it as inevitable. This is hell, he murmured. That earned him another worried glance from Rashid. What's that? Steve leaned his head against the passenger side window and sighed. This is hell, he said again, louder. This is hell, and we're the demons. The perfect demons. Rashid was silent for a long moment. So, you just got back from the reach, I take it? How long was that for you? Thirty-one years, Steve murmured, more or less. Rashid whistled. Damn, dude, you haven't aged like a day. What? Steve flipped down the visor, slid open the mirror. His face looked like it had the day he left. None of the improvements he had made with his powers, but none of the gray hairs and wrinkles either. He reached up and touched the skin of his twenty-four-year-old face, smooth and unweathered by time. I... I aged, he said, wonderingly. But not Steve had taken even that away from him. Erased it like it had never been. Well, maybe mentally, old-timer, Rashid said, in a playful tone. Shit, I'm surprised you even remember what cars are. Steve slid the mirror shut. He didn't want to look at that face anymore. I remember cars, he said quietly. I gave my people cars. Well, not like the cars you have here. Better ones. Electric. Mostly we used trains, though. Your people? Rashid echoed. What were you, a king or something? Daisy's face flashed before him again. Her hands reached for him as he was torn away. It doesn't matter, Steve whispered, and squeezed his eyes shut around the tears. None of it matters. Rashid wisely fell silent for the rest of the drive. And that's the end of part six. What will happen to Steve now that he's back in our world? How do you move forward when your whole life has been deleted? Find out next time in the conclusion of The Dark Lord Steve. Hey there, folks. Chris Lester here with this week's unscripted outro. It's now been one month since we started social distancing, three weeks since the governor's stay-at-home order here in Wisconsin, and we're doing okay. Mel and I are both still staying healthy. We decided last week that we really need some projects to keep us busy during this lockdown, so we went ahead and ordered a bunch of stuff for the lawn and garden, and we also ordered the stuff for my new acoustic panels. 
I know we previously said that I was going to hold off on getting these, but Mel encouraged me to go ahead and do this so that I have something to work on, because having projects is kind of important for our sanity right now. If you're on the Patreon feed, you may have noticed my updates on Saturday, April 11th, as I was working in my workshop. Patreon has this tool called Lens, which lets you do updates that are sort of like Snapchat or Facebook Stories. There are things that are temporarily available, uh, videos and photographs that go up on your feed that are only visible for a limited time. So uh, I've put up some pictures of myself working in the workshop on constructing the new audio panels. Right now I have everything that I need in order to build the wooden frames for the acoustic panels, and I have the rock wool insulation that's going to go into them. Unfortunately, I'm still waiting for the burlap that is going to cover the panels to be delivered, and until I have that, I'm not going to open the insulation packaging because I don't want rock wool getting all over my workshop. It's kind of like fiberglass and not really something that you want to expose yourself to longer than is necessary. I was able to get a order of burlap placed through Home Depot. I am still waiting for it to be delivered, though. I couldn't go to a fabric store even if I wanted to, because fabric stores are not considered essential businesses, so they're all closed right now. So I'm just waiting for that to arrive before I can finish the acoustic panels. I'm going to go ahead and finish building the rest of the wooden frames throughout the rest of this week. And then we'll just wait until that stuff gets here. Hopefully it'll be here pretty soon. Once that burlap arrives, then I can finish the panels and get them hung in this studio. And then you should hear the audio quality improve substantially. For now, it's just fun to have a project to work on, something to get my mind off of this current nightmare that we're all living through. Apart from that, uh, Mel and I have been busy with yard work. We uh, had to fill up a bunch of holes in the backyard that were dug by the previous owner's dogs. So we've been doing that this weekend and reseeding the bare spots on the lawn. And we've been prepping four new raised garden beds so that Mel can start gardening. This is the first time that she's ever had land of her own to work with, so she's really excited about being able to put into practice some of the things that she's learned on the organic farm that she's been working out over the last four years. Having something to do is especially important for Mel right now, because you guys may have heard Burning Man has canceled its in-person event for this year, and they laid off a bunch of their staff. That means that Mel is officially and completely unemployed at this point. She has applied for some grants and some loans for her photography business, and she's going to be filing for unemployment as soon as she's eligible to do so. There are currently some delays as they're figuring out how to incorporate people who are freelancers and self-employed folks and gig economy folks into the whole unemployment process. So we are waiting on that. That will probably be ready for her to move forward with in the next week or two. But for now, we've got a pretty big gap in our income. Fortunately, my job is still going strong. There's still plenty of drug research that needs to be done. And uh, we are starting to get involved in some of the work 
for dealing with this coronavirus, which I'm excited about. It feels like I'm finally doing something that matters. So we're doing okay. We've got enough money to pay the mortgage and to keep the lights on in here. A big part of that goes to everyone in the Patreon community who's continuing to support this podcast. Every little bit helps. I know that times are really tight right now for everybody. So thank you to everybody who's been able to continue your support during this time. It means a lot to me, and it is really especially important right now. If you do have a secure source of income and you want to help out, you can sign up to make a monthly pledge at patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. On the writing side, uh, still no new writing yet, but I have been continuing my research for my FF romance series, Honor and Natasha. This week I finished reading my second book for that project. This one is called The Queen of Ephleria by Effie Calvin. Now, this book did have some flaws, which I talked about last week, and the romance was awfully tame, especially compared to Cat Sebastian's book. But honestly, I still had a lot of fun with it, and I'm glad that I read it. I particularly liked the character of Adele. She was the crown princess who was forced into that role after her brother died unexpectedly. And she was really believable. She felt very authentic as this character who'd basically screwed around her entire life and now had all of this duty and responsibility thrust on her that she had never expected and never asked for. And she was now trying to make sense of what it meant that her life was not hers to do with as she pleased. There was a particularly interesting exchange in the book between her and her parents, where they basically told her, look, the reason why we are allowed to live the way that we do as members of the royal family is because we have this responsibility. We have all these restrictions on our lives. We have all these duties that we have to attend to. People are expecting us to take care of them and to protect this country that we're all living in. And so we are allowed to live really comfortably in exchange for having really big limitations on what we can do. This is a uh, a theme that was also talked about a lot in Netflix's series, The Crown, which covers the lives of the British royal family. That is a really good series, and I definitely recommend checking it out. If you need something new to stream, something new to, to mainline during this uh, time that we're all in lockdown. But I had, like I said, I had a lot of fun with this book. It's obvious that Calvin has put a lot of hard work into building out her world. There are other books in this series which all focus on different characters and different parts of this world. And uh, it looks pretty interesting. And I think I will come back to this series at some point. However, since I am right now focused on writing FF romance and particularly something on the more steamy slash explicit end of the scale, I have decided to set aside the rest of this series for now and focus on reading other authors who are hopefully going to do some more actual romance in them. You know, the the stuff in The Queen of Aflaria was sweet. There's some nice emotional moments between Adele and Sophie, the uh, the other protagonist, but it doesn't get much beyond kissing and hand-holding. So 
I'm looking for something that can give me more guidance on more of the steamy side of romance, because that's what I'm trying to write here. If you guys have any recommendations on good FF romances, please let me know. You can leave those responses on the Fans of Metamore City Facebook group or send an email to me at metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. I'm really interested to hear what other folks have been reading in this, this genre and if there's anything in particular that you would recommend that I should check out. I've read three books this year so far that have FF romance elements in them. There's the Cat Sebastian book, A Little Light Mischief. There's this one. And then I also read Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir, which was excellent, but also did not really get into the romance much at all. There was a lot of emotion and a lot of interpersonal drama, but nothing really steamy, nothing explicit. So uh, if you have anything that you know of that would be good for me to check out on this front, please let me know. I did start reading another book this week. It's one that's only available in text, not in audio, so I'm expecting it to take me longer to read it. I don't know if it's going to be any good yet, but it looks promising. It's set in Great Britain right after World War I, so it's in a time of major societal upheaval and transition, which is the kind of thing that I'm aiming for with the Honor and Natasha books. So I'm looking forward to seeing another author take a crack at that kind of romance, you know, romance in the, the time of great social change. So we'll see how that one goes. And if it's good, I'll let you know about it. So that's all I've got for you guys this week. Once again, thank you for listening. Thank you for your support, those of you who are on Patreon. Thank you for continuing to spread the word about this podcast and about my writing to other people. Everybody needs stuff to do and to listen to and to read during this time. So keep getting the word out there. Keep telling people about it. It helps. And uh, I'll talk to you guys again soon. Until then, keep it on the bright side. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2019 and 2020 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.